Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Please be seated. You're here this day, I think it's safe to assume, because you are a Christian. And what that means is, in its most basic form, you believe that God became man in the flesh of Jesus Christ and that he died, that his skin grew cold, his blood stopped running through his veins, his heart stopped beating, he stopped breathing, and he died. And then for three days, after three days in the tomb, he rose and he lived again. The blood went back into his skin. He was warm to the touch, color back in his skin, and he rose. He lives. Jesus lives. The reign of death is ended. As we just, as the choir just sang in our hymn, it was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death was ended. The reign of death. Let's talk about that. What do you think the reign of death would look like? Well, the reign of anything that is to be a king of something, death would have its way, gets whatever it wants. All starting back with the fall into sin in the Garden of Eden, and then death echoed throughout all of history, all the way down to us and to our children, our families, our loved ones. Death echoes all around us and the suffering that we see throughout the world. And it is a fierce reign. It is unstoppable. It's always coming for us. We can ignore it, but we know, we know it draws near. You can't outrun it. You can't outsmart it or outthink it. You certainly can't out, outlive it. Death is like a beast in the ground, always hungry, never satisfied, always eating. Us and the ones we love. That's the reign of death. And I think that reign of death, that unmovable reign of death is, is symbolized for me by the casket, having had to lay so many people on the ground through the years, you see the casket there as kind of this end point of the reign of death. That finally death has had its way with this person and they'll be going into the ground. This fierce, heavy, unmovable casket. There was a casket in today's gospel reading. It was made out of stone a bit larger than the caskets we're familiar with, but it was the tomb of Jesus. And the head of that casket, the lid for the casket, was a large, unmovable, unshakable stone. But on that first Easter, the reign of death faced something new. So we can maybe imagine that first Easter, like you and me, imagine if we could like maybe sneak up on the tomb and we're looking as Easter starts to unfold in front of us. The sun starts to come up. We hear in the distance Mary Magdalene, the other Mary and some other women are drawing near. Guards are there in front of the tomb, guarding the stone. And then somehow what slips behind the soldiers, Jesus just walks out of the tomb. He doesn't need to use the door anymore. We know later on Easter evening he's going to just appear to a locked room of the disciples. 
He just, he can use his divine power more openly now. He just walks out of the tomb, and we can suppose he maybe goes over and hides in the bushes, because he's going to pop out later and surprise some folks. So the ladies then approach the tomb, and then right as the soldiers maybe see them, there's an earthquake. And this earthquake is unnecessary. I think this is because there's this major ostentatious angel who shows up and brings with him an earthquake. And at the sight of this angel, the soldiers faint with fear. And right away, the angel, in this kind of like joyful, ostentatious way, he kind of giddily walks over to the stone and swats it off like a bug. Just swats it away like it's nothing. That unmovable representation of death, that, that unsatisfiable beast, he swats it away. And then, interesting, in today's gospel, Matthew records this uniquely, the angel then sits on the rock. To add insult to injury, death, you are nothing. The reign of death is ended. Now notice he didn't have to move the rock. Jesus was already out. But he moved the stone. Why? Because his women are there. And the angel says, don't fear. Jesus isn't here. He has risen. Go see it for yourself. Peek inside the tomb. Look what's there. And what's, what's really funny is we find out from other gospel texts, what's actually in there is the shroud that Jesus was in was folded up carefully and laid on the rock where he had laid. Which meant that before he left the tomb, Jesus got up and carefully folded that thing up and left it there. And you can imagine he's thinking the whole time, they're going to be so excited when they see this. Right? He's not here. He's risen. Go look inside the tomb. The reign of death has ended. Now is the reign of life. But why do you believe that? It is what it means to be a Christian, to believe those things. But why is it? How is it that you believe that? Or maybe to think about it differently, for you to believe these really difficult-to-believe things about Jesus dying and coming to life again, did it require from you a leap of faith? Did you just have to blindly jump out into the abyss and say, well, I got to pick something. Might as well be Christianity. I hope it, I hope it works. I think the, our postmodern world puts forth religion like this. All religions are ultimately equally unverifiable. There's no evidence for any of it. All the things in the spiritual realm, you just have to guess. The analogy I have is like, imagine we're all on a cruise ship that has just crashed, like they seem to be doing all the time lately. What's going on with that? So we're in the water and the raft, there's, there's life rafts all over the place around us. But these are like one man rafts. And they're all, kind of, they're all kind of tattered and torn. and There's duct tape on them, all of them. They equally are not great looking. And yet we have to grab onto something and hope it gets us to shore. We don't know if any of them are gonna work, but we hope maybe one of them and I hope it's the one that I choose. But there's no evidence, there's no proof that it's gonna work. We just have to kind of snag one and leap out in faith, blind faith that it's gonna work. It's like going down to the horse races and you see the horses there, you put your money on one of the horses and then hope that your horse wins as if you're hoping and you're really, really hoping. 
and really, really believing that your raft is going to make it to shore or that your horse is going to, that that's somehow going to help you get there because you really, really believe. Is that, is that your faith? Well, that is what is asked of us of all the religions of the world, except for Christianity. All the other faiths require from you a blind leap of faith at some point. But the Bible never asks that of us. It never asks for you to make a blind leap of faith. It runs straight to the evidence. Luke does it most famously. He says, I went around, I investigated all the eyewitnesses. I wrote it all down here. Go see for yourself. The Bible bends over back, backwards with specific names. Why write down Malchus, the guy who's Peter, Peter cut his ear off on, on the night Jesus was arrested? Why the specific names? If not trying to ask people to go see it for yourself. Go see the eyewitnesses. The Bible never asks for a leap of faith, but points us to the eyewitnesses. Starting with those women, that first Easter, the angel sends them inside the tomb, go and see it for yourself. He's not here, he's risen, and then they, they leave, they go to Galilee, and before they even make it there, Jesus, he had been hiding in the bushes, he pops out. Of all the things he could have said, I think he would have said, surprise. He says, greetings, which brings tremendous comfort to these, to these ladies. And they are the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. Then Jesus appears to the disciples in the locked room that night. Before that, he appears to the, the disciples in Emmaus. And before he ascends into heaven, over 500 witnesses see the resurrected Jesus. There were eyewitnesses to this. It is not a leap of faith. And those witnesses who passed this down did nothing but die for their message. They received no, no fame, no popularity in their, in their life. They received no money, only death. For simply speaking, that they had seen Jesus, he was dead, and then he is alive. There's no reason to doubt them. They're faithful eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the analogy I have for this uh, it might be kind of shocking, so bear with me. So imagine here on Easter morning, you show up, and as you're getting out of your car, you'll notice someone walk over to your, to your door, knock on the glass, and say, hey, good morning, Christ is risen, hallelujah. And it's, it's Rich and Gail Sudis. Now, if you don't know them, uh, Gail died last summer, and Rich died about a month and a half ago, and they're both with Jesus now. So it would be kind of shocking were they to greet you in the parking lot. And then you all get excited, you run in here to me. Pastor, you never guessed what we saw in the park. Rich and Gail Sudis are in the parking lot. And I say, you're crazy. You didn't get enough sleep last night. Go grab a coffee, right? And then someone else, kind of unrelated to you, comes a couple minutes later. Pastor Clement, you never guessed. Rich and Gail Sudis, how, 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 how did this happen? Uh, you guys are trying to pull something over. I mean, I'm kind of gullible. I get it. But after the third person, unrelated, maybe some youth who didn't know Rich and Gail, hey, Pastor, a few weeks back, I saw on the Week at a Glance, you should subscribe to the Week at a Glance, by the way, it's our informational newsletter, shameless plug there. The Week at a Glance had a picture there of Rich Sudis, his funeral. Uh, so he's dead. But I saw that guy in the parking lot. How can this be? After... 10, 20 witnesses coming up to me and saying, Pastor, you have Rich and Gail Sudis in the parking lot. How did this? 
At some point, it becomes irrational for me not to believe you. Though I haven't seen it for myself, I've got no good reason to, to distrust you. You're not lying to me all the time, I don't think. Except there's no other explanation that Rich and Gail Sudis are in the parking lot. And that's what it is with these eyewitnesses of the resurrection in our, what we call the Bible. These eyewitnesses who saw Jesus, once dead, now alive, and then have passed it now down to us. It is not a leap of faith. We step out of this drowning, chaotic ocean onto the shore itself, not into some tattered raft with no certainty, but on the shore and certain foundation of the shore itself. The reign of death is ended. You can be certain. And here's what that means for us. All the other stuff that Jesus said clicks into place. If Jesus lives, that means your sin is really forgiven. That your guilt is actually taken away. Your shame has been cleansed. That there's nothing that the devil can do to you that in the end makes one lick of difference. Because Jesus lives. Putin can, can rage and storm. China can do whatever it wants. Diseases can come. Government oppressions and shutdowns can do whatever they try to do to us. The reign of death can come a knocking to you and your family. Cancer, disease of this world. In the end, it means nothing because Jesus lives. We have peace and hope in an otherwise hopeless and chaotic world. It is not a leap of faith, but it's a sure and certain confidence and joy that Jesus lives, that there is life in the world of death, and there's nothing that this world or the devil himself can do to you that robs that from you. The reign of death is ended. And so, on the last day, I like to think about that angel at the tomb that morning with Mary and the other Mary. So when Jesus comes back, and we're in our caskets, unless he comes back later today, the angel shows up. God's got to get us out of the ground somehow. So that little ostentatious angel brings another earthquake and opens the ground, swats the casket lid off, and sits on it, shatters it. Death reigns no more. That's our joy this day. And so we feast. We'll break out the bacon, open that nice bottle of wine, let the kids have one, maybe two Cadbury eggs and get the sugar high going. See, too many smiles from that one. Sing louder than before. The, the organ open up all the stops. There's joy for us this day. For Christ is risen. Hallelujah. We stand for prayer. Let us pray for the glory of God in Christ Jesus and for 